Okay, this is an interview with Will Coughlin by Keith Walden. Will, you've been out to Greece, you were working uh, with an organisation uh, doing some voluntary work for refugees. Tell me a little bit about why you got involved in all this, how you got involved in it, if you would. Yeah, of course. Um, so for quite some years I was very passionate about refugee work uh, and in London I was working with various organisations uh, in kind of different sectors and different uh, different voluntary roles. So I was working in a refugee uh, kitchen where we'd be cooking some food and serving it to refugees. Um, and so when I was working uh, doing that, I was also doing my degree at London Metropolitan University. And uh, while I was uh, studying, I was starting to reflect and starting to question why it was I was doing the, the degree that I was doing. And I was questioning the reason why I was wanting to work with athletes instead of other people. And I was questioning this for quite some time and came up with the, uh, came up with the idea of working with refugees. And those were the people that I felt were the most vulnerable people and that would have the most benefit from my skill set that I was learning. Um, and so this is why I wanted to start getting into humanitarian work. And from this point, it was a real motivating factor for the next three years, four years. And so, yeah, it was maybe one year after I graduated, when I was living in Barcelona, was when I uh, was asked to come and work as a physical therapist in Lesbos. Uh, and I found this out through an advert on Facebook, actually, by a, a charity, an organization called uh, Medical Vol Volunteers International. And they asked me to come out almost immediately. And so from the first time I saw the advert to the time that I was out in Lesbos was less than one month, actually. And so, yeah, that was pretty much the way that I got into doing humanitarian work. So when you arrived, what? tell me about how your first impressions. What was it all like when you first arrived there? Uh, it was a bit of an earthquake, to be honest. Um, so I was picked up by the head coordinator of the charity out there and she basically told me about the whole situation there and it was uh, quite a big shock to be honest. I thought to myself that I was quite prepared to go out and do this kind of work but the reality was that I only knew so much about it and yeah, uh, it was just a, a deep kind of shock in my soul to sort of hear about what's going on and the way that the migrants are being treated. I, I had a, an understanding that it was a horrible way that they were being treated, but the actual real, the real way that they were being uh, kind of treated is, is just beyond belief. There's no way to prepare yourself without actually going to realize this. And, and to, to hear about it in, in the first sort of person way. I, I think, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, absolutely, it makes sense. Um, tell me about your particular life. So when you arrived there, where did you stay? What did you eat? How did you live? Um, so I lived in uh, the accommodation that the charity provided. So it was a two bedroom flat. Um, and we were living maybe seven people within two bedrooms and so it was quite difficult to sleep 
and so I slept for two weeks down in the flats and then I decided that it was actually better to sleep on the roof because it was cooler, I could see the stars, I was in my own space. Uh, so that was a much better way to, to live for me. And I'm sure you can see from the picture that I showed you, it was uh, a little bit of a interesting way to, to live. I think that's, that's probably the best way that I can describe it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it was a good way to live, to be honest a better way than living down in the flat because it was just uh, too much to, to do that because people were snoring, people were sleep talking and you know doing everything that you just couldn't do. Um, but yeah, there was something that I was doing as well which was called, uh, with an organisation called, Camp, called Campfire, uh, which was when I was uh, working during the nights doing boat spotting, so driving up and down the coastline and stopping at particular points with binoculars and searching across the water for any migrant boats that might be making a crossing. And I had done various kind of uh, trainings where I'd be then, uh, if a boat was about to land, it would be how to greet them and, and kind of make sure that they have a safe arrival on the island, how to call the Coast Guard and the police, and how to make sure that they can get to the roads uh, properly and safely which is a very, very interesting thing. Um, so I was doing that quite often, uh, and that was four hour shifts over the night, as well as an eight hour shift during the day with the uh, physical therapy work. Um, so that was quite intense, actually. How many times did boats come in? Was it, was it a nightly activity or a weekly activity that a boat would arrive? Uh, a weekly activity. A weekly activity, right. Yeah. Um, so the amount of times that I greeted a boat was none. I, I didn't have the, yeah, the, well, I guess the privilege to, to greet them. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people had greeted them many other times. But uh, the t- during the time that I was there, there were maybe six or seven boats that arrived and maybe 300 people on those boats. Wow. It's, a it's a lot, yeah. And to think about the ratio of people on those boats to the boats that arrived is quite surprising, actually. It's shocking. But, yeah. So then these refugees are taken to a camp, presumably, are they? Yeah, they're taken And that's where you worked? Uh, Yes, I worked just outside of Moria camp. So we worked in this tiny little garden hut, and it was called the Garden House, actually. Oh, right. It was a really beautiful place. Um, And so, yeah, I was maybe 15 metres from Moria camp, uh, which is, yeah, I never got to go inside, actually. It was something that um, I wanted to do, but because of the way that the charity worked, we weren't allowed to. Lawfully, we weren't allowed to. Um, yeah, which is unfortunate, but I'm actually quite happy that I didn't go in there because I just don't think I would have been able to deal with the kind of way that it was and the living conditions that these people lived in. But yeah. So tell me something about the kind of injuries that these people were coming in with. Uh, there were many different types. Um, there were obviously the chronic injuries of walking and the injuries associated to the wars and the fleeing of uh, the persecution. And so this could be lower back injuries. Uh, we actually set up a lower back class, lower back pain class, um, with one of the other physios that was there. And so we had maybe 10 people max every time that they or that the class was run. 
and so we just run through various different kind of exercises and stretches to help these people feel better with their back pain uh, and then from that chronic pain from walking and kind of sleeping on the floor and things we go all the way up to the acute trauma injuries so gunshots and uh, beatings and explosion injuries um, yeah and like I said to you earlier there was even a leopard attack injury and that was really quite shocking actually all of those injuries are very shocking um, yeah uh, like I said to you as well there was this woman one woman who was involved in an explosion 10 years ago and she had about an 80% tissue loss on her lower leg and she was still able to walk around without a crutch or anything else but yeah I am so surprised that she was able to do that because that was such a horrific injury it's actually something that's been on my mind ever since mm. and yeah how many other therapists were you working with in this particular incident, uh, this particular camp? Uh, there were two others, but one of them left uh, one week while I was there, and then I was alone for a week and a half when the other therapist left as well. And so did the doctors from this place send people to you, or were you just there yeah. openly accepting anybody? So there were various different organisations sending uh, patients to us, so I think it was maybe four or five. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was, so at the time that I was alone, I was taking care of, uh, well, I had maybe 100 patients that I was taking care of alone uh, over the course of the weeks. Um, but I had actually, I've already done the calculations of how many uh, patients that I'd taken care of over the two months that I was there, and it was over 300. Which is quite incredible, actually, mm. and that's seeing patients maybe once or twice a week as well, as well as having maybe ten or twelve kind of new referrals every week, as well as the original patients as well. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a lot, a big patient load. And did you find your therapy skills, your sports therapy skills, useful in this context, or did you think that you didn't actually have enough? skills to cope with the kind of injuries you're getting here? A bit of both actually. Um, I believe that the sports therapy skills that I had were really relevant, uh, especially with patients who were able to move around quite a lot. And so in terms of people who were in the middle or late stage of rehabilitation, it was possible for me to take them outside and do some proper exercises and sports therapy re rehabilitation exercises. So I took out with me a slack line so I put it between two trees and I was able to do some exercises with them and include some kind of play with them which actually aided a lot of their recovery because they were able to smile and laugh and we were able to joke around and uh, yeah, just bring a smile to their faces which was great. Um, and also in the early stage rehabilitation with manual therapy that's a really important factor in, in the kind of re rehabilitation just because we didn't have any equipment that was kind of relevant we had some, well, we didn't have any therabands, and so the way that I got around that was getting some of the long uh, balloons, you know, the ones that you blow up for balloon animals and things, and then just using two or three of them, and then using them for shoulder exercises or bicep exercises, and then taking some away or adding some just to increase the resistance. So it was trying to find different ways of using uh, 
basic therapy tools in order to recreate what we have in the Western world, which was really good fun actually. Makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Taxes your brains off on how you can improvise to, to help these people. Yeah, absolutely. It was really good fun. And so I was working with translators as well, and that was a real challenge. Um, obviously, because of the language barrier between the patient and myself, uh, but also the language barrier between the translator and myself as well, mm. um, because they were all really young, young guys that was that we were working with, um, and so they were very young, but they were very motivated to learn the language that we were speaking, but also. Uh, it was a struggle because they just didn't have that level just just yet, and so it was about trying to use basic language for the translators so that they could translate into Farsi or whatever language that it was. But you know, there's a level that we speak with each other now, and there's a level that we speak with the or that I was speaking with the translators, and so it's a very different kind of aspect to that. But it's very interesting. I, I enjoyed it a lot actually. I still stay in contact with uh, the translators now, which is lovely. Oh, yeah, good. I had a message just last night from uh, one of the friends that I made there, and he was someone that I was actually teaching uh, physical therapy to. So he would come in in the mornings, and he would act as a translator, but he would also he was really interested and motivated to learn about physical therapy, and so I was teaching him, and I was saying, okay, so this is why we're doing this. And then I'll teach him the way to do it, and then I'll be like, right, here you go. I showed you how to do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and you, you, you had translators. Presumably, the, the language is mostly English, then, was it? That you, the translators would. So, what's the common language amongst all the staff who work there? Uh, so within the organisation, it was English. It is English. Yes, um, but there were many different nationalities, mm. and so there were a lot of German speakers and Dutch speakers as well but the common language is English. And then obviously the common language between the translators was Farsi, because over 85% of the refugee population in Moria was uh, Afghani. Mm. And so, yeah, that was the main thing. But obviously there were varying different uh, nationalities as well. And so people were speaking French as well as Arabic and some Lingala speakers as well, which was very interesting. That provided a big challenge. I have some uh, patience of that and yeah it's very close to French but it's also they have a lot of different sounds as well mm -hmm. so it's a lot of clicking in different I, I really, really don't know how to describe it but it's very interesting I enjoyed that a lot mm. so then something happened to you do you, do, you, do you understand how you contracted it tell me a little bit about what happened to you yeah so I contracted an illness called encephalitis uh, which is an auto autoimmune disease which attacks the brain as well as the nervous system and uh, yeah so I was in Athens when this happened and I was lay on beds lay on a bed with my girlfriend and I started to have a seizure and I looked around and I was hallucinating at the time and I heard some voices and turned around to my girlfriend and asked her do you hear this and she says what, what, what are you talking about and then at that point I just started to lose consciousness and I had a seizure and I was shaking for about a minute and I was unconscious for maybe two or three minutes after that as well. And then I went to the hospital and they basically made me wait for a long time and I ended up going home because I was feeling fine at that point and they didn't do anything for me. 
and I was at home for two days and then I had two more seizures and I was admitted to the hospital and then a fantastic doctor kind of realised after one week why I was having the seizures and why I was feeling so ill and diagnosed me with encephalitis and then I was awake for maybe a few days after that and then I was put into an induced coma for five weeks uh, and I spent three weeks of that in Greece and then I was flown back in a private jet which was quite something but I was uh, in a coma for this so I didn't really know about it um, and then I spent the next four weeks in ICU in Southampton Hospital and then I'd been awake for the past month still in Southampton Hospital um, where I've been doing my rehabilitation so that's the neurological aspect as well as the psychological and physical aspect as well so it's been quite an intensive period of rehabilitation so far and uh, the great thing is that I've been confirmed for discharge to St. Richard Hospital where I'll be continuing my rehabilitation um, so yeah, it's going to be a long road to recovery but I'm well on the way Good. which is fantastic so tell me the deficit that you've got at the moment. You, you, you're still a little bit unsteady on your feet, you were telling me earlier. I am, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. So tell me a little bit about how you feel now. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty good, to be honest. Uh, much better than I was a month ago. Um, my short-term memory has really improved. Uh, and I remember everything from my life before getting ill, which is great. Um, but in terms of my physical health, uh, I'm a little bit unsteady on my feet. My proprioception is a little bit wobbly uh, but this is because of, of the flat hospital floors uh, when I go outside it's, there's a lot more different slopes and inclines that uh, is making my balance a little bit bad to be honest like on the flat ground I'm absolutely fine but as soon as there's some kind of holes in the, in the floor or something like that it makes it a little bit more unsteady um, but my strength is quite weak at the moment I'm using an eight kilo uh, kettlebell to do kind of bicep curls and things uh, so I'm much weaker than I was before but it's slowly improving and then obviously core exercises that I'm doing is uh, I'm doing the plank and I can get up to maybe 30 seconds which is alright but before I was able to do maybe four minutes and so it's quite a big difference so yeah it's just about trying to rehab myself as well as doing the physiotherapy uh, rehabilitations as well. So it's about combining my knowledge as well as their knowledge in order to get me to back to where I need to be, to back to a base level or even further. Fantastic. And longer term, what are your plans? Uh, long term, uh, I'm wanting to go back to Barcelona and to live there with my girlfriend and to work as a physical therapist. I, uh, so before I went off to Lesbos, I was in conversation with someone uh, where they were doing home visit physiotherapy and physical therapy and so he offered me a job so I need to be in contact with him soon um, but uh, even longer term there's a project that I'm wanting to get underway which is called the Friendship Bench and this is where we teach uh, a particular demographic of the population in talking therapies and once they're trained in, in the talking therapies we then sit them down on a bench and get people who are suffering from anxiety or depression to go and speak with them and then we would uh, 
you know, give them different talking therapies and hopefully talk them through their anxiety and stress and depression in order to get them back to wellness. Uh, so that may be in Barcelona, but it may also be in a refugee setting as well. But I definitely intend to go back, uh, maybe not to maybe not to Lesbos, but to another place where there are refugees, and to be working with them and doing physical therapy too. But yeah. I don't know. We we had we were having um, dialogue around the society setting up some kind of mm, humanitarian yeah. pathway. Tell me, how do you see that going? Uh, I am still very motivated for that to happen actually. I've been doing some work on that recently. Um, uh, yeah, I would really love that to happen. It's, uh, it's a pathway that I hope that uh, we'll get more sports therapists into humanitarian work and to do, to do the work that I was doing in Lesbos. It's a very, very important aspect of the refugee's life for their body to be fully functional. Because if it's not, then they don't have access to further travel or access to a job or provisions for their families at all. And so if they have full function of their body, then they have full access to all of those things. And so I'd be really passionate about getting that pathway up and going and providing whatever help I can. So if there are other sports therapists out there who want to do the kind of thing you did and still want to do, how do they go about that? Tell me the steps they would need to, to undertake. Um, they would need to do a little bit more training in, in the basic therapy aspects and so working without the tools that we have available to us here in the UK. And so that would mean kind of thinking outside the box a little bit more and finding different ways to find the a similar effectiveness of the exercises that they're providing but without the same equipment uh, so it's about thinking about that for sure and it's also about being in the right mental space for doing the work that they're doing because that's something that I found very uh, shocking and traumatic actually I thought that I was ready to do it and I prepared myself in the way that I could but then going out there and finding out everything that I did was something just too much to deal with really and so it's about preparing yourself in the right way for that mm-hmm. and I'd be happy to speak with someone if they were interested to do that but I could also put people in contact with other people who did the refugee work as well in various different regards. One of the things that you know if there are people out there who want to go and do this it, uh, so they would contact presumably the aid agencies and, and the yes. one you were mentioning earlier medical volunteers international would be one of those yeah yes absolutely but there are others and they can go on websites and find all these aid charities can they yes they can yeah um i can give you a list if you want uh so there's a charity called kitchenos which works inside moria camp uh there's the international red cross there's medicines from frontier uh, Medical Volunteers International, um, BRF, uh, Boat Foundation, I think, I, I can't remember the, the name of the charity, but I'll find out for you. Um, but Medical Volunteers International is probably the only one that does physiotherapy help at the moment. Um, there are lots of other ones, but uh, you need a lot of um, experience within the humanitarian sector. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it takes a lot to, to actually get out there with different charities. Uh, 
but yeah, it would be something that you would have to contact them yourself. But if we set up the pathway, then I'm sure we would be able to perhaps set up a mission and, and go out there ourselves and work within the humanitarian sector. But that would take a lot of work to do, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it's not going to be easy, but I mean, that's one of the things that we're looking at doing. And uh, obviously, if anybody is interested in that, then we might put them in your direction so that you can advise them better than we can. Yeah. But certainly, you know, what we've discussed today, we'll, we'll put something on the website about it and we'll see if that excites anybody. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, well, you've got one person here already. Yeah, <laughs> good. All right, well, thank you very much for that. Thank uh, you. We might need to come back to you at other times in the, in the future, but uh, thank I'll you very much. I'll be very happy with that. Thank yeah, you. Brilliant. Okay.